I'm Shreen Patek, and this is Starting Out. Digiday's podcast, where I talk to the leaders in the marketing industry about their personal stories that make them the prominent voices and decision makers in the business today. The shakeout isn't coming, it's here. Four weeks to can, and the big theme this year is a pivot to reality for the industry. Marketers are rethinking everything from their over-reliance on agencies to how they've worked with platforms. And the looming threat of GDPR means potentially a major change in the way business is done. But good businesses are resilient, and that's the main quality that my guest this week prizes. Antonio Lucio is the chief marketing officer at HP. A champion for diversity within the organization and the marketing industry, Antonio has spent much of his career refocusing the role of marketing to be less about execution and more about driving the bottom line. And he does it with a trademark cool that sets him apart. On today's show, I talk to Antonio about CAN, marketing relationships with Facebook, and the huge change in the role of CMOs. So we are four weeks away from what some people would call the best uh, meeting of the minds of every great media, marketing, and technology executive. Other people would call it a circus. What would you call CAN? A little bit of both. That's Actually, a diplomatic CMO answer. No, but it's a, it's a little bit of both. I mean, there is um, madness, um, but uh, there's also some serious business going on there. And, and when you have the best and the brightest in the industry in one place, um, if you choose your time wisely, you can uh, you can achieve some very important things. I think the interesting thing about looking at CAN as sort of as almost like a milestone every year is saying what looking at what it says really about where we are in the industry. Um, and I definitely felt like over the last year, year or so there's been and we're calling it um we're going to call this term the pivot to reality for much of the industries we've seen it i think everything from me too i think caught a lot of people flat-footed realized that there were a lot of things wrong within their organizations um i think more on the marketing side there was a lot of issues around efficiency and brand safety and reach on the public publisher side i think a lot of people sort of wondered about the continuing influence of google and facebook and tried to come back to that is it fair to say that there is a pivot to reality happening or a shakeout happening in our industry right now? I think we're in a transitional time, a, trans a truly transformational moment um, on multiple levels. Uh, first and foremost, we have a world that is global and digital. Um, as a marketer, you have more information than ever before about your potential customers, and that is a plus and a negative, as we have seen through GDPR in, in Europe, uh, for example. Um, you have uh, the, the coming of age of data and artificial intelligence is transforming the way in which we do marketing, and that will have an impact or is having an impact on the industry. To do marketing today, you need to have ample sources of data. Most of that data is, is commoditized. Mm -hmm. Then you also need very deep um, analytics and insight capabilities. You also need creative content. I'm not using the word agencies there. I'm using the word very purposeful, creative content. Then you need um, programmatic buying capabilities because regardless of everything that we talked about the digital world, there's no turning back and things will get better. Programmatic buying is here to stay. And then at the end you have uh, attribution modeling, which mm -hmm. is the ability to, to, to actually measure 
what you've able what you've able to do. So when you're a client, you're building internal capabilities at least in four, some clients actually in five of those areas. Mm -hmm. So my teams have access to more data than ever before. We've built over the last two and a half years significant insights and analytics capabilities. Um, we also have everything on the programmatic side on the programmatic side in-house so we own the stack not the agency mm -hmm. and then we have attribution modeling capabilities so um, uh, uh, the, the fact that we know significantly more about our customers than the agency will ever do mm -hmm. uh, implies a change in the in the model um, the change in the model contrary to what other people say for me is not in the creative side I, I, I don't think that um, having and moving creatives in-house is a sustainable mo model over time. I think that there's never been a, 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 a bigger need for creativity than, na than now, and therefore creatives in agencies are, are safe and will be safe for a very long time. The agencies will have to reinvent themselves mm -hmm. to go back to their origin, to provide strong creative products and not as much of those value-added services that clients are becoming better at as opposed to um, to providing the, the, the creative output that we need. I don't think the issue, has the issue really come down to sort of, oh, do we need creativity or not? I think the the bigger question being asked constantly is the relevance of how agencies built their businesses. Do you think that clients, what changed in in clients in the last couple of years that sort of just made them, I, I mean, I have to say it's sort of much more ballsy these days. There's a lot of clients out there who are coming out and saying, we're going to do a lot of this on our own because it turns out we have the power to do it. We have first party data. We have the talent. We can attract the talent where necessary. And then where we need the agencies, we'll need them. But maybe there's cases we won't need them anymore. What changed in the last couple of years? What changes is the amount of information that we have about our customers. And the more information that you have, the more of uh, the more that you own of that relationship. We can clearly pinpoint the decision journey of a customer and can clearly articulate all the interaction opportunities that we have with that particular customers. I, I will disagree with you though in terms of. Uh, I do think that creativity has come into questions. We, you have a significant uh, group in uh, in uh, in the industry that thinks that just because you have data about a customer and and having the ability to pro present a a a um an act, a call to action at the right moment that you're going to get stuff done, uh, that will that will uh, help you sell product. It's not going to help you. Uh, build significant brands that stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so I I do think that uh, uh, the role of creativity is 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 being questioned in in many fronts, and I I I believe that there's never been a, a more and a bigger or a bigger need from creativity that now because technology will tell me who my customer is, when is the right time to approach them, and will help me optimize um, among several options. Uh, what is the best message for that particular customer, but the ability to engage with him or with her in our particular case at the emotional level, that continues to be the ground for creativity. Um, where we get that creativity and what is the offering that the current agencies have is is what's been in, in question today. Tell me about you. What makes you creative? Oh, I, um, I have a very curious mind. Um, I... Um, 
I get bored rather easily. So uh, the reason why I've been able to stay in this business for so long is because I I love to play with um, with uh, all the new tools that we have at our disposal, which is what the digital world has um, has um, brought us. I uh, personally I love reading. I read about everything and and everything, um, mostly about history, if uh, if uh, and literature, if if uh, if you will, and um, and I and I love movies. Uh, as well, I, I I I am inspired by words and also by images, and um, I I believe that um, there's never been a better, also more challenging but better time to be a marketer than now. The ability to to connect to un- first to understand, second to connect, and third to get creative content from anywhere in the world. It's never it's never been better than today. One thing I've one thing that's been interesting to watch about marketers has been that I think there were a, even 10 or 15 years ago, there were a lot of marketers who wouldn't have known the ins and outs of viewability or fraud. And now you have to, that becomes, that's become a cornerstone. Getting deep into the weeds is no longer something reserved for brand managers or other people. It's something that everybody knows about and talks about very publicly. Tell me about how you have seen your role shift and change and sort of the demands placed on your role today and how they're different. Well, the, the role has gotten bigger and broader, um, but it has nothing to do with viewability or, or fraud. It, it has to do with the fact that um, we, we serve multiple stakeholders in a business and all those stakeholders converge in social media. So you need to have an integrated strategy and story in every aspect of your business, whether you're talking about the corporation, whether you're talking about a product, whether you're talking about a brand, and whether you're talking to the multiple constituents that that you serve, whether we're talking employees or clients or customers or opinion leaders around the world. So the need for that integrated story, that consistency, uh, that integrity has made the role of the CMO significantly more, more, more impactful and, and, and bigger. When it comes to the, the media uh, considerations, yeah, I participate and I need to get into the details and all that. But I also have to tell you that I, I think that sometimes we are spending way too much time talking about this, particularly with the press, and not enough time showcasing how marketing is actually building the business. So when people talk about the decline of the CMO and its impact in the world and the short live and all that. You've got a long tenure. <laughs> I, I, I've had long tenures and, and some of my associates as well, people like uh, like, like, like Mark Pritchard and, and Keith Weed, uh, uh, people like Kristin Lemka, who's one of my, my favorite CMOs. Um, we've had strong tenures because we understand how all the different aspects of the business connect and the value of having an integrated narrative that is uh, consistent across our multiple stakeholders, but at the same time addresses the the needs of each and every one and every one of them. Um, so yeah, I can go into the weeds of viewability and all that, but I rather spend most of my time showcasing the impact that the marketing function has in the overall business, because at the end of the day, that's what gets us a seat at the table. So there's too much time being spent on the other stuff, you think? At least with the press? I think so. I think so. And, that, uh, and, and when we talk about the, 
the issues of the CMO and all that, it, 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 we, we, we like to talk to it with our own language. It's almost like we're our own island and we're surrounded by mirrors. And, uh, and, 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 and we forgot that, um, that the role of marketing is to drive the business. So to the extent that all of it is, is, is uh, presented in a way in which we are actually be able to drive the business, those stories are relevant to the business side of the equation, to the, to the extent that it's just us talking to ourselves and, 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 and it's not. And, 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 I, and I think that there needs to be a, a lot more balance when we're talking about all the challenges that we have and we have them. Mm -hmm. uh, like, like the ones that you've mentioned, uh, with, with the value that marketing in this day and age is actually providing to the business. Um, because it is, it is, um, I, I believe that in the digital age, uh, with all this data uh, available for, for us, we will become and need to become the light, the lighthouse guiding the organizations towards how to engage with our customers across the totality of the decision-making journey. So let's talk about HP. How are you the lighthouse within HP? Well, I'm, I'm being um, very blessed with this, um, this opportunity. I was able to join the company right before it split. Um, we split into two companies, Hewlett Packard Enterprise run by, uh, or used to be run by Meg Whitman and our side HP Inc run by Dion Whistler. And um, it was an amazing challenge to uh, very mature categories um, that- It's uh, a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Um, and in and in two and a half years, by focusing on insight-led innovation, uh, superior implementation at the point of sale, and good demand generation or or marketing, now these very old uh, and mature categories are growing double digit consistently. We have uh, rates of growth higher than many of the top twenty-five consumer good companies. So people are buying the, printers. In the, in the people are buying printers and are buying computers again. And not only computers, they're buying our computers because the level of innovation uh, that we're providing the market is the best that we've done ever. Uh, and again, all this is insight-led, all, all that is to some extent, not to all of it, but uh, the impact that the marketing organization has. What has been the, one of the most interesting problems you've worked on recently? Well, um, and hopefully solved. Well, the, the, the most interesting um, challenge that, that we have is, um, is capability. How do you um, evolve a marketing organization um, into the digital globalized age where everything is moving so fast? Um, we're constantly, I spend a lot of time identifying what are the capabilities that our team is going to need relative to the capabilities that we have now. What are the, what are, what, what, what can we do in terms of internal training and what are the things that we're going to have to partner or acquire, mm -hmm. uh, elsewhere? Uh, that to me is one of the most important challenges. And, and, and by the way, it's a challenge that it's never going to go away because technology will continue to move farther. So understanding what's going to be needed relative to what you have and then creating the plan of actions to ensure that those gaps are met is, um, is one of the most important jobs that I have. 
I want to take a quick break to tell you all about Digiday Plus, our very premium membership product. Join our community and get a first-hand look at how digital is transforming the world of media. You'll get exclusive research, invitations to very exclusive member-only events, and of course, Digiday Magazine. It's only $3.95 a year, and you can sign up at digiday.com. And for you, our podcast listeners, we have a discount offer. Enter the code starting out at checkout to get 25% off your subscription. Now back to the episode. So that sort of is the internal bit, but I also, I've, I've watched your career and watched things you've said over the last few years and realized that I think, at least for me, it feels like you feel a sense of responsibility to the industry as well to make things better, not just at the place you work and for the place you work and drive the bottom line and drive sales of printers and computers, but also genuinely make this a better industry. Where has that, where does that motivation come from? Well, you know, I believe that an ideal situation happens when your personal purpose finds a corporation that shares your values and your principles. And that happened to me with, um, with HP. We had an opportunity um, almost three years ago to create a new company, which meant the CEO had the opportunity to handpick his board and he ended up with the most diverse board in tech. 50% of our board are female or people of color. Mm -hmm. Um, He is uh, from Australia. He is an engineer. He believes in the power of innovation and the role that diversity plays in driving uh, in driving innovation so for me um, uh, um, the mandate actually comes from the from the corporation i would not be able to be as vocal as i have been if i had not the sponsorship and the support of a corporation that firmly believes that diversity and inclusion is both a values issues and a business imperative mm-hmm. uh, so what 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 we've been done at uh, at the industry level was um, um, uh, a mandate to our agencies to ensure that we had teams that represented the communities that we serve. We started by making sure that ours were indeed a reflection of the society. Get your own house in order first. First, that's right. So 50% of my top marketing talent are females, and they're there because they're great marketers. They just happen to be female. Um, And 30% of them are, are people of color as well. Um, so we made the invitation to the agencies. They responded. Everybody asked me, so how did you do to... to they were, they're incredibly open about it and, and they were um, in, incredibly supportive and the, object, the, the results that they were, they were able to achieve is because of their commitment and their hard work. So we started with 40% of, our, of the people that work on the, agent, on the HP business being female when... At the end of year one, 60% were female. The most important number, though, is the, the f- number of female in senior leadership roles. It would, their chief creative officer, uh, head of the account, or head of strategy, in many of our agencies, that number when we started was zero. Today is 52%. So um, that was sort of the first, the first um, step in the process. The second step now is, is filling the gap with, with people of color because only two of our five agencies actually deliver the objectives that they set themselves, which was BBDNO and Fred and Farid. Um, so now the work that we're doing is on this second year, ensuring that we hit those numbers and then creating uh, programs to ensure that um, that inclusion is is the next 
wave of, um, of priority across both our company as well as the agencies. Why has it been historically harder for, especially in advertising, especially on the agency side, for it to... I don't think the issue is much of, oh, it doesn't attract young, diverse female talent. It's that it fails to promote them at the point in their careers at which they have to. I mean, I think all of this has been discussed at length, but how have you seen, what have you seen as the specific obstacles or the cultural challenges within within these kinds of companies that have prevented this from happening without somebody like you coming and saying, you, you need to make this happen, let's work together to do it? But one of the things that we mentioned when we started this journey is that the transformation of the industry is going to take holistic and systemic change. The clients have to change, the agency has to change, and the production houses have to change. The client writes the brief, the agency delivers the idea, and then the production houses brings it to life. If you don't have a diverse point of view across all those dimensions, you're not going to, to, to create the level of communications that actually serves your customers. Mm -hmm. um, so changing ourselves, changing an agency, the, the third part was also um, encouraging female directors. So we supported Free the Bid. Mm -hmm. As, uh, as you know, this is our second year of, uh, of support, which is... There is progress. That's it, huge it's progress. significant progress. All right, so I'm going to ask you to talk about platforms for a little bit. Was the biggest, was one of the biggest myths in advertising, or one of the things that advertisers did wrong or chased wrongly was that I think that they thought we could all just pay less and waste less and therefore be much more efficient with our ad dollars. And I think one of the things that we're seeing, whether it's because of brand safety crises or whether what's happening at Facebook across platforms is that actually sort of this wild grab for efficiency or this wild grab for reach didn't quite work out. Do you sense an, a correction in where in the way sort of you're spending your money or in the way marketers are spending their money to be just a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more measured, a little bit less, we'll spray a lot and then this will all work out? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, going back to some of your original uh, questions regarding fraud and transparency and viewability and all that, uh, White listing is the is the is it's the new black is the new black. You know, it's um uh, actually Kristen Lemkow, a chase started, and um, different marketers in in different reasons are doing different things to deal with the data uh, issue. Um, in in our particular case, uh, white listing is probably the single biggest thing that we've uh, we've done. We also uh, use higher uh, viewability standards than uh, than the MRC. What about Facebook? Is Facebook becoming less relevant in a marketer's arsenal of where it spends its money? I don't. I don't think so. I. I think um, Facebook is is here to stay. It's become a, a part of the of the culture. Um, they will need to get better, and we will need to get better at it. But it's um. I mean, even with all all. <laughs> All the things that we talked about, and uh, and and Cambridge Analytica, and and uh, Russian influence, and all that, there's there has not been a significant impact in their in their in their business at all. Um, I I I I think that both the client side as well as companies like Google through YouTube and Facebook, we're all need to get to work together and uh, and and figure out the right way of, of approaching the consumer, taking into consideration two things. Number one, the rights 
because privacy should be a default position. And then uh, our, our, our ability to actually capture their imagination through, through meaningful content at the right time when, when they want it. Do you use Facebook? I do. I do. I, that's the way that I keep in contact with my, my friends, uh, with the social part of myself. I don't use Facebook for work. For me, Facebook is that to exchange pic- pictures and, and see when my, my, my friends have babies or new dogs and all that stuff. So when we talk about sort of a correction, what, where do you kind of see in the next five years? Where, do you, where would you place your bets in the way the marketing function inside companies will move? Um, we're moving into the experience age. Uh, we're moving from the information age where everything was uh, devices that were not connected, uh, a lot of data, but data that was not very used, user-friendly, um, multiple passwords, <laughs> uh, mul- m- multiple ident- digital identities um, to an era where um, devices uh, will be connected, seamless experiences that will be curated, relevant, and the possibility of hyper-targeting, always, always with a sense of wonder because our, our new customers, the millennials, are beginning a bit to get a bit bored with the algorithm-based uh, uh, thinking that, 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 they, that, le- they, that they learn to live with. Uh, within that, there are certain implications for the marketing, for the marketing world. Um, first, it's not about data, and it sounds obvious, but it's not. It's, it's not about data, it's really about insights. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want to be in a situation where we become data-rich, insight poor um, and when I talk about insight I talk about big insights in terms of human truth as well as the small insights which are the ones that you use to actually capture the imagination across the the decision the decision journey um, the people that we're going to need are going to need to be different di- deeply embedded in analytics curious about new tools uh, but at, at, at the same time, um, they need to own the, the skill of synthesis, mm-hmm. having the ability to capture all that and translate it into, act- in, into actionable words. So, and they're going to have to be good at understanding the GDPR. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. How, See, much, how much is the GDPR going to affect your business as a, as a marketer in, in this industry? Listen, I've been in the I've been in the industry uh, a long time, and I've been in multiple businesses a long time. We will adapt, and we will make it work. The sky won't fall down. The sky will will not fall down. And by the way, it's right for customers, for consumers, to own their data, and it's right for them to say, "This is what I want to receive, and I what I don't want to receive." And it's right for them to say, "I don't want to be." Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, connected anymore. It, it, it's 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 a fun, it's the fundamental right of the digital age. So I think it's a good thing. And by the way, business are resilient. We will innovate around it, and we will create offerings that fits their needs and fit ours. I believe in the resiliency of uh, of our industry. And there has been a systematic abuse by multiple different factions because of because of not having this. I mean, we basically got into a situation where we decided to spam people, whether we were publishers or whether we were tech companies or whether we were marketers or agencies. This, this has been something that we were allowed to kind of ride for a that, long time. That's right. Let's talk about you. Where do you sort of see um, the next 10 years of your career or your personal career changing? 
So um, 10 years is a long time. I, I, love, I love being a marketer. I absolutely adore my craft. I made the decision years ago that I was uh, not going to be a CEO because I love the way that I spend my hours. And, and that's what a job is, is the way that you spend your hours and the type of people you spend your hours with. So I love being surrounded by creative people. I love being surrounded by, by people that, that, that believe in, 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 in finding common grounds and human understanding. Uh, uh, which is what marketing is at the end of the day. Um, uh, so I see myself um, finishing my career in marketing, and then after that, uh, I will uh, I will teach and I will be a, a mentor to young young CMOs. That's that's what I see for myself. Tell me about the person who has shaped your life the most. Wow, there have been there have been many people that have shaped uh, my life at different moments. Uh, my uh, my um, mother-in-law likes to say that there are friends for a season, friends for a reason, and friends for life, and and I believe that the same holds true for mentors. Uh, there are mentors that have stayed with me my entire life. They there have been mentors that uh, were there for me at a very specific and important part of my life, and um, and there are mentors that um, that that stay with you for a week. And leave a, an important message uh, in your in your life, and I'm uh, always very receptive about that. I don't know whether it's the fact that I've been living in California too long, but the whole <laughs> the whole notion of um, of the messages that that life is sending you um, is something that I fundamentally believe. And every every person that you meet, you meet for a reason, and every person that you meet is there to tell you something that you need to keep. One of the people that I that I think about a lot is my brother, Ramon. Uh, he is uh, younger than I am. He's five years younger. He was the valedictorian of his uh, his class, way, way, way smarter and more disciplined than, than I was. It was a, actually a bit of a disaster in high school. Uh, and um, unfortunately, he became, uh, he became ill, he's schizophrenic, and um, he has not been able to um, develop life as, as I have. He's in a home and he lives a, a very confined sort of life. Um, so when I think about people that um, give me a sense of north, north um, particularly in this lat later stage of my life, is, uh, is my brother. I am, uh, I am deep, deeply grateful for his presence. I am deeply grateful of the fact that I'm healthy. Mm -hmm. And I am deeply grateful of the opportunity that I have to help people. I would say that he's, um, he's, he's one person that I think a lot about. If you were to write a book about your life, what would you call it? Oh, Resilience. That would be, that would be the, the title of my book. Would you write a book about your life? I don't know. Maybe. An Ode to Resilience would be, like uh, would be, would be the title of my book. Uh, you could make book. it a collection of poems. <laughs> <laughs> That's Antonio Lucio, and that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for listening. This show was produced by Aditi Sangal. If you like the show, please subscribe. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Anchor.fm. Rate us, leave us a five-star review, and stay tuned. We'll be back next week with another episode.